Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre Dame. here uh, after finishing my Salisbury steak. <laughs> <laughs> what is a Salisbury steak? Is that like, isn't that like a chicken fried thing? I mean, it's, I don't think it's exactly the same, but it's kind of on the same path. Chicken fried steak. Isn't that Salisbury steak? It's uh, not boiled, but broiled ground beef with brown gravy sauce. Isn't broiled just someone spelled boiled wrong and pretended it was a thing? I'm assuming you don't do any of the cooking in the house. <laughs> Not without deep instructions. Okay. I associate Salisbury steak with cafeteria food. I feel like we had that a lot in elementary school. Yeah, so why was our assignment to make and eat Salisbury steak? I don't eat beef anymore. It was very cruel of you. <laughs> I know, right? I got an upset tummy. I'm mostly vegetarian at this point. Same. I would be surprised if cafeteria Salisbury steak was made of beef. Horse meat. Well, I made it at home. I don't have a cafeteria to go to. Uh, so you 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 are authentic. But that doesn't answer my question. Why did you tell us this was a Salisbury episode? Because, gentlemen, I have a new Minecraft build today, which I thought we would show off. And, well, okay, I thought I could show off. I also wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about the differences between French Gothic architecture and English Gothic architecture. Salisbury's English, right? Yeah, Salisbury's English. The steak's not though, right? No, the steak is uh, distinct. Well, it's not even a steak. It's just ground beef. It's uh, distinctly American. The dude's last name is just Salisbury who came up with it. And he had a diet that was somewhat similar to the Atkins diet. Really? Wow. I thought... I thought it was related to Europe, but maybe I'm maybe that's wrong. I mean, the dude's name probably is related, but the dude was American. Wait, so what's a Salisbury steak? Apparently, it's not a chicken fried steak, so I was wrong about that. I said it's ground beef broiled. Bro- oh, broiled. Wait, what's broiling? Broiled. I, am I able to broil at my house? Do you have an oven at your house? Yes. Oh, there is a broil button. Isn't that just boiled? No, it's that's for. Um... If you stick your hand underneath the broiler. You will get boils. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The broil is for like if you're too lazy to use a grill or a griddle. No. Yeah. It's like if you want to cook something real hot, real fast, real close, broil some steak. We do it all the time. So Salisbury steak is some dude named Salisbury took ground beef, thought however we were cooking it was inadequate. And so stuck it underneath his oven broiler to see what would happen. And so this is something that you recommended for people. Does that burn off the fat or something? I'm not a nutritionist. And I also don't know if he's right or not. I think most nutritionists aren't nutritionists. Well, I'm not going to start that fight. (laughs) Well, my wife thinks that the war against fat is gravely misguided. I agree with her. She has a uh, war against sugar that is very broad. That's true, too. I also agree with her. <laughs> I mean, that one I can, I, I mean, while I certainly like my sugar, I, I, I can believe the science behind that one. Her definition of sugar includes sugar from fruit. It does. But let's not talk about my, <laughs> let's not <laughs> talk about my wife right now. 
And you definitely shouldn't have a lot of that either. I'm defending her. I'm the only one on this podcast defending Tom's wife, including from Tom. <laughs> one one day when she listens to this, she'll she'll know that she has a, a friend in me. Okay. Are we going to be like following up on this segment on the next episode about what the truth behind Salisbury steak actually is? Because I mean, Zach, you actually looked this up. I did actually look this up, yes. Okay, all right. You said we needed a funny bit, and Zach came up with something. I mean, if he was American, I mean, he was probably Salisbury. Salisbury. Well, no, the English would say Salisbury. Right, Salisbury. Salisbury. I don't even know what accent that is anymore. Anyway. I don't do accents. Dovetailing into away from Salisbury steak into Salisbury. Why is English Gothic something that you want to discuss and how does it differ from French Gothic? And what cathedral do you want to use as an example? Thank you for that charming pivot, Zach. I couldn't have done a better job myself. I wanted to talk about Salisbury Cathedral because I think Salisbury is one of the best, like one of the quintessential examples of English Gothic architecture. And there's many similarities with French Gothic architecture, uh, but there's, you know, some differences too worth bringing up. Both French and English Gothic architecture have uh, some of the main bullet points in common. Pointed arches, flying buttresses, ribbed vaults, prioritizing light in the space. And they both roughly exist around the same time period, although I might say English trails a little bit to the French because sort of the French were the original uh, inventors of the basic concept of those elements of Gothic architecture. And then they taught their neighboring civilizations uh, their techniques, and then those techniques were adapted. So there's other kinds of uh, Gothic architecture out there, too. I mean, there's German, and then there's Italian to a lesser extent. Uh, but we'll focus on the English here for the next stop. When we talk about German Gothic, is the misnomer going to finally eat itself? <laughs> like, French Gothic is a misnomer, right? English Gothic is another misnomer because it's not gothic. But when we talk about gothic gothic, that's not actually gothic. What are we going to do then? The German Visigoth dressed in goth went to the gothic cathedral. I don't think we need to have the conversation where I was wrong that that name didn't even get applied until the Renaissance, right? Oh, right, right, right. right. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. The conceit at the forefront is gothic is a misnomer. But when we're talking about gothic architecture from the region where there were goths is this cons- this misnomer just going to eat itself well let's save that for the cologne episode shall we all right okay because we're talking about the english today english gothic architecture we talked about some of the basic elements that they have in common but what are some differences between french and english gothic architecture we've already talked about how the french emphasize vertical space with their very high vaults, height and light, trying to build taller and taller cathedrals in a sort of massive arms race. You know, we made our way to Amiens, the tallest and largest Gothic cathedral in France, built in the Middle Ages. Also, French architecture emphasizes bold facades, usually with their twin towers like Notre Dame, as we well know, you know, big grand edifices. And then they also, the French do incorporate many intricate curvature elements into their their floor plans in particular. Usually at the east end, you've got the chevet, the ambulatory, and the radiating chapels. So the English, on the other hand, are going to be a bit different in some of these regards. The English tend to emphasize horizontal space more than vertical space. Generally speaking, English Gothic architecture is a lot shorter 
it's not as tall, at least in terms of the chamber, the main central nave, the main vessel of the cathedral. Their vaults tend to be much lower, but they're very long. Zach, you have your hand up. Does the more flat architecture of English Gothic make it easier to reconstruct mm. these cathedrals in Minecraft? Yes. Or do you like the challenge of the curvature? <laughs> Both can be true. Both can be true. It can be easier, but he also likes the challenge. Right, right. I, I like both. Um, as you'll see, one of the reasons that I found this Minecraft build today sort of a nice one to do, it was right at the time when I was in the midst of just a lot of uh, taking care of my toddlers and uh, a, a lot of stuff going on at home where I didn't have much brain space. So just building some big square boxy cathedrals was a nice change of pace just to not have to think as hard. But uh, I do very much appreciate, and I do prefer the curvature of French cathedrals. But I do like the juxtaposition, too. Uh, but we also said that, you know, not only do English cathedrals emphasize horizontal space with their very long cathedrals, but they also emphasize usually central towers. Most often, uh, English cathedrals have some kind of tower, whether it's tall or stubby, some kind of tower at their crossing. Uh, whereas a lot of these uh, French cathedrals that we've seen have had more of like a thin spire, like at Notre Dame or uh, at Amiens. But again, these English cathedrals tend to emphasize a big central tower, and usually they de-emphasize their facades to some extent sometimes. I mean, some Eng again, there's no hard and fast rule. Every cathedral is a little different. Canterbury and York have more grand facades, but uh, as you'll see here at Salisbury, Salisbury has a much more timid facade in terms of you know how grand it is. And then, like you said there, Zach, uh, English cathedrals are very squared off. Um, they, it's almost like somebody forgot to add the uh, chevet at the end. They're very chopped off, and they have usually big, flat, grand stained glass at the east end and a variety of different shapes, sometimes a big pointed arch window or sometimes a rose window, but flat as opposed to a sort of round curvature. Remind me how much later... Gothic comes to England compared to France? Again, there's a little bit of back and forth, right? Right. And there's a lot of English cathedrals that are kind of a mixture. Uh, a classic example I like to go to a lot is Old St. Paul's Cathedral in London, which burned in the Great Fire of London in 1666. It was started in about the 1080s, which was before Notre Dame. That was squarely in the age of Romanesque architecture, before Gothic architecture. But about halfway through its construction, well, actually, they sort of built it as a Romanesque church, but then Gothic really took off. And so they actually demolished its eastern half, and then they rebuilt it in a Gothic style. So, like, there are these sort of transitional phases that occur maybe within like 20 or 30 years delayed after whenever the French would do something. I wonder how widespread the skill of designing one of these things was. Building's one thing, but like the architect, the master builder or whatever. Was it just the same people going around and like, were, do they all know each other? Is, <laughs> I guess is the question I'm, I'm really getting at. Or was it pretty diffuse in that did they all go to the same clubs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there's certainly a lot of back and forth going on over the English Channel. But I think, I think it's fair to say that the style is distinctly different enough that the English sort of adopt it, but then they take it and make it something that is very unique to their style of uh, culture. Uh, you might notice that English Gothic architecture is a lot more pointy, a lot more spiky. Lots of pinnacles, lots of spikes, lots of, you know, sort of embellishments on like the corners of their towers and stuff. Very reminiscent of the English monarchy that we probably associate it with. I don't know how to discuss 
that the English like things sharp and pointy and the French like things curvy without getting into trouble. <laughs> Zach nodded. Yeah. Well, we'll just move right on, shall we? One of the reasons that I like this comparison, and this is a good natural transition from the last time we did a real deep dive into a Gothic cathedral, the last one that we looked at was Amiens uh, in France, and that cathedral started in 1220. Salisbury Cathedral was also started in 1220. So actually, this is very contemporary with Amiens. And the cool thing about Salisbury is that it was built very quickly. It was built in about 38 years. So unlike, again, a lot of other Gothic cathedrals we've looked at, since this one was built, again, relatively quickly in a period of about 38 years, it is very uniform in terms of its style. Uh, it kind of follows one architectural principle throughout each of the sections, like the windows at the upper level at the clerestory have a similar shapes all across rather than sort of deviations from one architect to the next, like we saw at Amiens. Wait, that's how old you are, right? Uh, one year off. Yeah. So you could say in my lifetime, that's basically how long it took to build Salisbury. Yeah. Do you feel consistent? that you were built by one architect in those 38 years? I would feel very consistent if I was able to build a cathedral in 38 years. I'm talking about you. Me. And your flying buttresses. Words fail me. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Now, I want, I want to be clear that when I say 38 years, I'm not talking about everything. There were still things that they did after 38 years. Most notably, the spire was not built in that 38-year period. So you lied. Well... Again, the nave, the transepts, the choir. By the way, you might have noticed that one thing that's unique about Salisbury is that it actually has twin transepts. So rather than having a typical cruciform cross shape for its floor plan, for some reason, they just got bored and said, one ain't enough. We're going to build a second one. That's fine. So they built I'm, I'm one and then another transept. So lots of horizontal space. I'm going back to you lying, though. What is your definition of a cathedral being done? Well, go back to episode one, the ship of Theseus build. That's, That's right. right. That's right. I think that was episode two, but will Notre uh -huh. Dame be done before they finish the spire when they when they redo it? Um, no, it won't be. It won't be because it keeps going. No, you wouldn't say that Notre Dame was done until the spire is done. No, I, I wouldn't. So it was much more than 38 years. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that all the elements that would normally look different at all the different left and right, north, south, east, and west regions of the cathedral are, again, much more harmonious and uniform than they normally would be because all of all of the stuff at sort of the accessible places to people on the ground okay. were all built within 38 years. Okay, fair enough. Exception to the tower. So I have a question. Yeah. I have a question designed to throw you off mm -hmm. that you don't have an answer for. Yeah. Ooh. You seem to dismiss this idea of two crossings. Yeah. But there is the patriarchal cross sure. that is a religious symbol, also known as the Cross of Lorraine. And I'm just cribbing here from Wikipedia because, as we've established in this podcast, canonically, Wikipedia is a source of truth. Uh -huh. It is a, a common icon for Christianity. Sure. But it is not common in England. And hence, the mystery continues. Cross of Luzane. Wait, cross of what? Lorraine. L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E. Ah, there we go. But you could probably more easily find it as the patriarchal cross. I've never... This image is not familiar to me at all. Yeah, I'm actually... I don't know this too well. But that is very reminiscent of the floor plan of Salisbury. That's actually striking. I'm going to have to look up if there's a connection there. I wonder why they would have done that. Yeah, you're right. Those are identical. 
There's a lot of like Russian Orthodox, Byzantine Greek, Eastern Orthodox. Like there's a lot of proliferation of this icon, but it doesn't seem like it is prolific in England. Sure. Which is bizarre to me. Yeah. It's a question designed to stump. Who knows? Who knows? Yes. I, I, I Wikipedia, tell us. I'm going to ask chat GBT and see what I get. Okay. Uh, yeah. That'll spit out what you need. Yep. Uh, in the meantime, the years of the construction, again, for the 38 years that have been 1220 to 1258, the spire, as we know it, was built more around the year 1320. That's a lot later. Yeah, that is considerably later. And in fact, the, the initial tower that was at Salisbury was much stubbier. Like it was the cathedral itself was not built originally to sustain such a tall tower in the middle, which has caused a lot of problems over its life, which we'll get to a little bit later. And currently right now, present day, Salisbury Cathedral does have the tallest spire in all of England. Not to be saying that's the tallest building in England. They've got skyscrapers in England, but still, uh, in terms of anything church-like, Salisbury Cathedral is the tallest. It wasn't always the tallest church, though. There were two other spires in England, just for reference, that were taller. Old St. Paul's, right? Old St. Paul's was taller. Old St. Paul's had a spire between the years 1315 and 1561. In 1561, Old St. Paul's spire was hit by lightning and collapsed. And it's, I, I was trying to look this up and it was a little bit unclear what Old St. Paul's Cathedral's spire was made out of, but I think presumably it was probably made out of wood and lead coating, kind of like Notre Dame's. Wait, the spire of Old St. Paul's collapsed before the fire? It did collapse before the fire, yes. So oh, there was that. a period for a long time there. Old St. Paul's just didn't have a spire. And then, yeah, about a, a century later, then the whole thing burned down. Yeah. God was like... I don't like this cathedral. Let's get rid of the spire. Humans didn't take the message. And so he burned the whole thing down. But he burned the whole city down. Old St. Paul's, though, was actually, well, Old St. Paul's reached a, a height of 489 feet, which is uh, about 85 feet taller than Salisbury Cathedral's spire. Salisbury's uh, spire is 404 feet. Uh, there was one spire that was actually taller than Old St. Paul's, and that was actually Lincoln Cathedral. Uh, Lincoln Cathedral currently today has three towers, a big central tower, and then two other notable towers on its west facade. But those towers once long ago did also have very thin pointy spires on all three of them. But those spires did not last very long. Lincoln Cathedral's spire in its central tower was the tallest at 520 feet, but it was blown over in a windstorm in 1549. Blown over in a windstorm? Yeah, it was blown over in a windstorm. That's pretty pathetic. Yeah, it was made out of wood and lead, and it just it just couldn't sustain it. Yep. Did one of those spires, uh, while attending a theatrical experience, get shot down? <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, Lincoln's spire was, in fact, the tallest building in the entire world at the time of its construction. It was taller than the pyramids of Egypt. But again, it didn't last very long. Well, OK, that's not entirely fair. Just like Abraham Lincoln was the tallest man in the world at his age, too, before he was also blown down in a windstorm. True facts. It's real. It's so real. Pretty sure that's how Lincoln died because he was too tall yeah as a tall person i presume that's how i'm gonna go in a windstorm it's like in the kung fu panda when the tortoise just blows away in the wind little known fact kung fu panda a documentary about lincoln are you saying that booth took out lincoln because he was too tall the wind yo the wind the booth in the theater more like 
So I, I, I don't know if you quite caught on to what I was alluding to here, but... Probably not. No, in fact, you definitely didn't. They built the tower to outshine the other things that were taller that fell down. They were like, we got to smack a huge tower on top of this really awesome cathedral to show to those other puny cathedrals how flipping awesome we are. Architectural things be darned. Who cares if this tower is going to be too heavy for the structure underneath it to support it? We're going to build it anyway. And who cares about wind? We're going to throw in a whole bunch of architectural nonsense because I watched the video that Tom disseminated and I know that they reinforced the spire so that it wouldn't fall down in a windstorm. Ha. Isn't that isn't that just the equivalent of like the modern day people just sticking satellite towers onto stuff to make it seem taller than it really is? Exactly. It's a through line from the 1300s to the 2100s. I was actually going to say that Zach's rant was surprisingly accurate for a rant, but then I remember that he actually watched the documentary. So he had some basis in what he was talking about. Unusual, but still awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the point I'm trying to make that's you rather special about Salisbury Spire is that it's made of stone. That's different than these other cathedrals. That feels like a mistake. Yeah. We're also having like a difficulty distinguishing like spire and spire yeah. when this is really like a tower. For, like if we're familiar with Notre Dame right. as being like the focal point of this podcast, it's got a spire. This right. is just got a honking tower. Just built on top of a building. Right. Well, so it's both, right? It's Salisbury has a two-story tower, a two-tiered tower in its center that was built, but then they stuck the pointy spire on top of it. Okay. Is the definition of a spire just pointy, basically? Yeah, let's just go with Point, that. Pointy top of building. Pointy top of building, yes. Although I would say at an angle that's very acute, a very acute angle. Not something that resembles a pyramid, something much more pointy than a pyramid. So this is basically, they had a central tower similar to the National Cathedral, and then someone just decided to add something basically twice as tall on top of it. Well, I would, again, the tower that was, so if you actually take, let's see here, we can actually use this video here. While Tom's looking it up, I really loved the beginning of the video because it's filled with dry British wit about <laughs> how the guy who wanted to build it didn't like where it was originally supposed to be built. And so he fired an arrow and wherever the arrow landed was where he was going to build the cathedral. And it landed into a deer and the deer ran over onto his own property. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to build on my property. <laughs> <laughs> Take a look at the timestamp 2139. That's a image of what Salisbury Cathedral looked like after the first 38 years of construction. So you can see how stubby that central tower was initially. Oh, that's how it was before. Got it. That's how it was. It looked initially after 38 years of construction. All the main building done, just a very stubby tower with a little pyramid on top. And this is very reminiscent, too, of some present day English cathedrals. This is very reminiscent of uh, Winchester Cathedral, for example. Uh, there's some cathedrals that kind of look like this with a very stubby central tower. So they truly just doubled it. Oh, it, like I was so much. I was being, yeah. I was being somewhat flippant before, but apparently accurate. No, yeah. Uh, the boxy part was extended quite a bit, right? Like it's, yeah. The boxy part got much taller. The boxy part is added by like, yeah. Boxy part's about a third of it. Right. And then two thirds more of it is spire. Spire. Yeah. So they, they redo the whole tower business there. And so that makes it a whole lot taller. But again, the spire part, the pointy part, is made of stone. 
And that is relatively unusual because, again, we're used to spires like at Notre Dame and Amiens and at Lincoln Cathedral and I'm pretty sure at old St. Paul's, too. A lot of these spires were wood with sort of lead sheathing on top, whereas Salisbury Cathedral, heavy, heavy stone all the way to the top. Lincoln Cathedral looks stupid. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. Are you looking at with the are you looking at it with the spires? No, I'm not even there yet. I'm just looking at it now. I guess this is a Notre Dame podcast and not a Lincoln podcast. Otherwise, we just offended a whole bunch of people. I mean, if you if you type in Lincoln Cathedral spires, you get some fun imagery of that. Lincoln Cathedral looks like someone didn't know what to build in Lego <laughs> and just went to town. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about this as he's building. <laughs> like not even the not even the not even the tower part of it, like this giant wall in the front. Yeah, it's a really it's a kind of very bizarre facade. It looks like a gate. Yeah. It's yeah. Is that door open? Um All right, I see okay, it with well, the, we'll, we'll talk about Lincoln sometime. <laughs> it does have okay, I found it with a spire. Yeah, that that was someone just trying to Overcompensate. Overcompensate. The advantage with the big heavy spire at Salisbury made of stone was that it could resist the wind a lot better. And so unlike Lincoln and Old St. Paul's, which, well, I mean, Old St. Paul's is completely gone, but, you know, those spires don't exist anymore. Whereas, you know, Salisbury's still here today, but only partially because of a lot of emergency measures that were taken over the last uh, several centuries, because even though it was stone, that caused a lot of other problems. Like Zach alluded to, that spire is heavy, very heavy. And the central piers that hold it up in the nave were not designed to withstand the incredible weight of this immense tower on it. And so after a, a few centuries, I, I think it was around the six, 17th century, the central piers were really starting to buckle in a distance of about 10 centimeters or so. And I've actually, I should have mentioned that I've been to Salisbury. This is one of the English cathedrals that I have seen in person. And I remember going into that central bay, the central square of Salisbury, and just kind of looking up and I was like, are my glasses really warped today? Because I was looking at these columns and they're just really bowing. And I was like... Oh, I guess that was by design, but no, it was not by design. By effect. There's something else that's striking too about the interior of Salisbury is that there's a lot of this uh, sort of dark, rich marble. I think it's called purbic marble that's um, made up of a lot of the piers. So when you go inside, you have this sort of play with a light and dark stone, which is sort of a unique take on the way they build these things. And it's sort of extra striking because those central piers are made of this rich sort of black marble, but it's again, it's bowing. So it's kind of an interesting effect. You can see it here. I'll just quickly. Ah, <laughs> see what I'm talking about? That's supposed to be straight. And those are metal support beams around the central thing. So, I mean, one thing they definitely have in there is they have a stone brace in the middle of two of the central vessel parts that sort of are bracing it from the inside, which I assume is there to help stabilize it. Uh, it wasn't mentioned in this particular documentary that we were talking about, but I think that has to be a later edition. But anyway, this thing was becoming so unstable by the 17th century that Sir Christopher Wren, the famous architect of St. Paul's, came on down because they begged him to help. And he said, you guys got to put some flying buttresses on this thing because actually Salisbury didn't have any flying buttresses because it was relatively short, at least in terms of the main building. And then he also said, let's put some metal banding around the spire and hopefully that'll stabilize it. And at the time it did work. Because we haven't discussed this in 
the audience can't see the pictures, Salisbury still has things like pointed arches, ripped vaults, stained glass windows. It, it didn't seem to be exclusively stained glass windows, but other things that you would expect from a Gothic cathedral. But it was it's still Gothic, even though it didn't have flying buttresses. Yeah. So again, we're, we're comparing and contrasting a little bit here. It didn't have the flying buttresses so much at first. So there are some English cathedrals that I think started off with flying buttresses right away, but this is not one of them. This is sort of early, well, not early, early, but sort of earlier English Gothic. And it does have very striking pointed arches and it has very striking uh, ribbed vaults. So I guess you have kind of two out of the three elements. And in this regard, that classifies you as a Gothic cathedral. But definitely, again, as we learned, exceptions to everything. So what's a cathedral that exists today that we could have fun building a stupidly tall spire onto? I mean, Washington National Cathedral is kind of poised for it. It's got a big central tower that's flat. And it could probably take it, too, because it's got massive piers that can take a lot of weight. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's put a giant stupid spire in it. What about adding one to like a non-Gothic cathedral? A non-Gothic cathedral? Let's put a stupid spire on the top of... Uh, the Capitol Dome. The Pantheon. No, that'll block the Oculus. Exactly. But put it on top of the Capitol Dome. Capitol Dome already has a spire. Big spire. It's just it's a dome thing. Oh, that's the, that's the, um, the lantern. That is a lantern. What? The Hagia Sophia has a very, very tiny spire on top of it. That's because its dome has fallen in before. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe we don't want to tempt fate again. No, Hagia Sophia definitely does not like much weight. It, it, it doesn't hold its shape too well. Just a couple things I wanted to mention that are a couple interesting fun facts. Remember, these are fun facts, guys. Salisbury still has its original oak roof. Oh, boy. Hope it lasts. Hopefully they took some notes after 2019. How close is that roof to the giant stone spire? In that regard, not close at all because they're 100 feet apart. How much is that doing? Because the Notre Dame spire was directly on top of the roof. Salisbury, the spire is on top of a tower that is connected to the roof, but is technically independent from the roof. I presume it would all probably fall down if the roof burned off. I think it, since the building is already such a house of cards, anything like that could be putting the building in serious jeopardy. Uh, it's more of a house of cards than like Notre Dame ever is. So it's it's very precarious over there. Making a cathedral out of a house of cards would be fun. That would be a challenge with any kind of wind. You could do use glue. One, one thing I, I should have mentioned too, though, that the spire is made of stone. But earlier on, after they had built it, to give it some rigidity, they did put a wooden scaffolding or skeleton in the interior cavity of it. It's not original. It wasn't there the first time they built it. But uh, it just sort of is pressed against the interior of the spire. And it does help it hold its form in strong windstorms. Wait, was the interior originally hollow? Yes. The, the interior of the spire was originally hollow. Just stone. This gets stupider by the moment. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Not as stupid as Lincoln. Lincoln is stupider. Well, if it was solid stone, that would be even heavier. All of these cathedrals are just... That's a bold stance to take on a cathedral podcast. <laughs> Maybe I'll just leave it at all these cathedrals. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, well, the other structural issue while we're talking about structural issues... Oh, boy. ...is that this, this is the part that's actually really dumb. Oh, no. Like, if you thought that stuff was dumb, this one's really, really dumb. Uh, the whole cathedral basically doesn't have any foundations. 
It's like the wonderful scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> I mean, it does. Like it's its foundations are four feet deep. So it was built on a swamp. It was built. It was literally built on a marsh. This is at least the third time we've referenced that skit. Yeah, and there will be more, I'm sure. Uh, this is very relevant to our loyal listener, my sister-in-law, who definitely at some point was asked to help try to build a foundation on a building that did not have one and really needed one desperately. <laughs> and the people who, if I remember correctly. The people who tasked the firm with fixing the building were unaware their building didn't have a foundation. <laughs> <laughs> so Salisbury basically sits on top of a gravel-like flood. I don't remember the exact term. It's not floodplain isn't the right word, but it's a sort of infused water gravel state. You actually want it to be inundated with water because... The analogy they use in this um, documentary we were talking about a little bit ago was that it's kind of analogous to sand. If you think about wet sand, wet sand, when you step on it, is a lot harder. Like if you go walking on a wet beach, you know, that sand, if it's really wet, it can be packed down pretty hard. Whereas if you're just standing on dry sand, dry sand just, you know, you know, you sink into it when you take a footprint and it sort of spreads itself out. So what they actually have to do is they have to maintain the water level in the gravel underneath the cathedral that the cathedral's resting on so that it maintains that sort of rigidity in the ground. So this is definitely one of these cathedrals that like, have you ever heard of that series? I don't know if you've ever heard of the series before. It's one of those niche series. It's called Life After Humans. It's like, what will still be around if all humans disappeared one day? Not this. This is definitely not one of the things that'll be around because it takes very active preventative measures by human beings to make sure that this thing continues standing year after year. And they've known that for centuries. Yeah. To just keep adding water. Yeah, there's. I think it's. it comes down to like a floodplain of do they let water flood into this uh, subterranean structure? Oh, wait, wait. I was looking at this on Google Maps and I was noticing, huh, there's a whole bunch of like irrigation things right next to it. Yeah. That's weird. Uh-huh. Why is that? <laughs> Oh, man, these people are dumb. <laughs> Why? Why not just build a foundation? So what they also said in the uh, documentary is that, you see, there actually used to be an older cathedral on a, a hill fort uh, a few miles away from this site, a hill called Old Serum. It was sort of like a castle-like structure, uh, sort of a fortified little fort town place. And there was a smaller Romanesque cathedral inside of there. But the whole place was run by the military, and they were bossing the uh, bishops and the clergy around, and they, of course, didn't like that. And also, apparently, it was really hard to get water. So they were like, we want a place with water. So they decided to move the Cathedral of Salisbury to a place with water. And a place that would forever need water. We'll show you, stupid military people. We'll build our own cathedral in a place that is almost impossible to maintain. Yep. They steered a little too hard into it. And when I say almost impossible to maintain, I mean apparently possible to maintain for centuries. One other thing worth mentioning, Salisbury, because it's in such a rickety state, has no swinging bells. That makes sense. They were like, this place cannot take bells. They does have some fixed hung dead bells for, in fact, what is supposed to be the oldest clock in the world. Salisbury is known for having the oldest mechanical clock known to exist. Uh, and all it does is ring bells. It doesn't have like a face or anything, but it would ring bells at specific times of the day based on a mechanical mechanism. So it counts as a clock. But yeah, no swinging bells for peel bells because that would be too much for that spire to handle. 
Did they have them before Extra Spire was put on? Though I now realize that Change Ringing might not have existed that long ago. So what they actually had was a little bit reminiscent of Italian cathedrals. They had a separate tower on the very large cathedral close. The cathedral close is like the big green area that it rests on. And Salisbury actually has the largest close in all of Britain. It's a beautiful green. It's a great place to go walking and enjoy beautiful views of the cathedral. It's it's an excellent location. Uh, do you mean that square thing next to it? Well, just the whole zone. It's a very large green zone. It's supposed to be 80 acres. It's a very it's like the largest designated zone of the cathedral out of any other cathedrals in England. So you just mean the you just mean the grounds? Yeah, the grounds. Just oh, okay, very okay. very large grounds. It's called a close cathedral. Close. Yep. Got it. But there used to be on that close a separate standalone tower, again, very rem- reminiscent of the Italian Campaniles, a standalone bell tower, which I guess presumably might have been built because they knew they couldn't really put bells in the real cathedral. And it was for some reason taken down, I think, in the 18th century, which is a shame. That's kind of similar how I can claim that the first bells I ever rang on were the bells closest to St. Paul's altar, even though. This was a tower not actually attached to St. Paul's, but a weird little tiny tower that is right next to St. Paul's, but happens to be closer to the altar than the actual tower at St. Paul's because the cathedral is so large that the tower is far away from the altar. Well, I think I've given you at least a fairly good rundown of the basics of Salisbury. We can, we'll talk more about it here, but I think we can do that while we also look at my Minecraft build. So why don't you guys pull on up my latest Minecraft build here for Salisbury Cathedral. I have it on a map with it adjacent to both Amiens and Notre Dame. So you can have a little bit of comparing and contrasting. Again, they're all roughly built to scale, hopefully about something fairly close to one to one. Again, with a little bit of deviation here and there. But for the most part, pretty close. This is the first one with a a rather sizable cloister, for lack of a better term. Yeah, actually, that, that was in fact the exact word, cloisters. In fact, not only does Salisbury have the largest spire in England, the tallest spire, and the largest cathedral close, the big green area that surrounds it as the cathedral grounds, Salisbury also has the largest cloisters, which is that big square zone that surrounds two large cedar trees. It's it's a very sort of fun place to just sort of walk around, get views of the cathedral, but it's also very quiet and peaceful and a good place to read a book. I'm in this circular building I don't, since we're not on the same server together it's hard for me to describe other than using coordinates sure but i'm at like 320 is it right off of the cloister yeah since i was just there and it's got this really interesting use of iron bars oh yeah uh, that i has a good effect in combination with the chains that are hanging on the outside i, re- I really like the this effect that you've got going on in here thank you so what you're looking at is the chapter house The Salisbury Cathedral Chapter House is special because it, in fact, holds one of the four original copies of the Magna Carta. That still exists. Yeah, that still exists today. The Chapter House is actually, it's quite beautiful. It's got big stained glass windows. It was built a little bit later. It was built uh, about 1263, so after those 38 years of construction. It's got a very thin, single column that the whole thing rests on. And so one thing I had to do, all the windows are supposed to be the same size. It's octagonal. And so you've got, you know, your windows, you know, north, south, east, west. But then you've also got your diagonal windows, like a stop sign, right? Because it's like an octagon. And I had to get those sides to be the same length as the flat sides. And the best way I was able to pull that off was have the flat sides four blocks long and have the diagonals three blocks at a diagonal. 
and that length was pretty close the same all the way around. But the problem with that was is that meant it was an even-sized build, so there was no middle block. And since there's no middle block, I had to think of what's the best way to get the thinnest possible column in there. And I was going to use, like, wall blocks, but even a wall block felt a little too thick. And so it's not exactly accurate, but I used the iron bars that Zach was talking about to sort of act like a thin column. And just to give you a sense that it's resting on something, even if it's a little bit artistic license. What is three times the square root of two? Oh, 4.2. All right. And that was just with eyeballing. <laughs> I, Of course, you might notice as well that this is the first cathedral that I built with mud bricks. What do you think of my use of mud bricks, Zach? I absolutely love it. Yay. I know we've had this conversation in the past about using blocks for their color palette. And I think you did a great job. I even see some brown mushroom blocks in here. Lots. <laughs> the thing about the brown mushroom blocks, of course, is every time you rip up one brown mushroom block next to another one, it then makes the ripped mushroom texture. So you're like, ah, you have to put it back again. So you get the mushrooms. In fact, I, what I, I finally ended up doing was I did world edit and I just replaced all the brown mushroom blocks with more brown mushroom blocks so that I wouldn't get any of those accidental ripped textures. But yeah, it's it's a perfect stony looking texture in the brown palette that's just plain without any like borders to it. I think it works. I did watch the YouTube video you have of this uh, cathedral up the other day. And when I was paying attention to the different types of stone that you're using, particularly in the interior, I was realizing that at this point, because you've gotten good at using different types of stone, it actually stands out very strongly to me when you just use cobblestone or even basic stone. Oh, yeah. That just looks so plain and unadorned <laughs> compared to all the other stuff that you use. Yeah, I I was trying like, so the inside is much whiter and the outside is much more aged. And so I was kind of going for different palettes for the inside and the outside. There's also a lot of interesting passageways. Like if you look in the upper level windows, the clear story, like there's like a passageway that runs between little tiny columns and then the outside windows. And so I had like different palettes, brown texture for the outside and gray texture for the inside. I, I imagine at some point we'll have the conversation come back to the use of your texture pack. When you're using different blocks for the color palette, but you can manipulate the color palette to whatever you want it to be. Does it really matter anymore what block you're using? So what I'll say to that is, even though I could go into a pack right now, and adjust all the stone palette to just have a little beige tint to it to give a little of that brown effect. I still want to have on my cathedral map, the cathedrals feel different, right? One to the next to the next. So while I could get a brown tint with the original palette, I wanted this cathedral to feel different from the French ones that I had already built. And I should say that the real Salisbury is definitely not this brown. The real Salisbury is yellowish, beigeish but definitely darker, like darker than Notre Dame, mostly just because it hasn't been cleaned nearly as much as Notre Dame and a lot of these more high-profile cathedrals in a while, so it's just dirtier looking. But again, there's just something about the brown that spoke to me. I was like, I think it works well. I've been very happy with the result. So how much planning time versus construction time did this one take in terms of hours? This one definitely built a lot faster because again, like Zach alluded to earlier, far less curvature to worry about. The curvature, again, not having those chevets and ambulatories and all the semicircles at the east end was faster. At the same time, sometimes it's easy to underestimate just how long it's going to take to make a good rectangle look good. 
Like that tower in the middle there, that took a long time to get that tower to feel right, to get the proportions right, to get all the windows to squeeze in right, and all the, the narrow little vertical elements. Have you noticed my excessive use of trap doors? Yep. It's sort of a texture pack conversation that we were just having as you're using trap doors to simulate, uh, for lack of a better term, vertical slabs. Yeah. In fact, I decided to just fully commit for this one. I sort of tiptoed into it with the Amiens build a little bit. The last time we looked at a one-to-one cathedral that I built, because there was just a few elements that I just desperately needed what the vertical slab could give me. But this time I was just like, what if I just go fancy free? I just go crazy and use it whenever I feel like it. And that's kind of what I ended up with this one. And I love the effect. If you look at, for example, the if you go outside of the cathedral, if you'd look at just the base of one of the sides of the nave or something, you'll notice that the, the buttresses, just the parts that jet out of the wall at the bases, I put two trap doors on either side just to thicken it up a little bit at the bottom. And then if you go to the upper level of the clerestory along the nave, you'll notice that sort of the divisions between the windows were also thickened up in the other direction with trap doors. Again, with basically the same texture as a lot of the brown mushroom blocks. I think it's not the exact same texture, but it's close enough that um, it looks like it's just an extension of the same stone block. And I'm continuing to use that technique more and more Basically, I've come to a decision that anything that I can edit in the texture pack is fair game at this point. That's how I feel about that. I don't see the trapdoors at all. Good. I mean, that means I did my job well. Where are they? So if you go outside. Yeah. Go to the bottom. Do you know, like, just the basic, not the flying buttresses, but just the regular buttresses that sort of the jetting out parts by the windows? Yeah. If you look at the sides of those bases... They're a little bit thicker. Oh. Just a little bit thicker. Those are trap doors on either side of there. Oh. Okay, yeah. But with a texture pack applied. With a texture pack applied, right. And if you if you go to the upper level at the clear story, you can see that not, not in the left or right sides of the buttress, but on the front of it, I just made it jet out a little bit more because it was so flat up there. It needed a little bit more adjustments in a subtle depth just to make it feel a little bit more alive. So in the cathedral itself, I didn't see this in the video that you sent out, but you've embedded redstone lamps into the floor. Oh, yeah. Are there redstone lamps in the real thing, too? (laughs) Uh, No, but one, I, I just like the look of redstone lamps. And in terms of the lighting, I actually made way more use of light blocks than I have in a long time. Uh, like there's there's actually light blocks all throughout the vaulting of the central vessel. And there's also light blocks against the edges of the windows on the first level. So I, I actually didn't use as many torches and other light blocks than I normally did because I went a little bit more crazy with the 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 invisible light blocks that just produce light. I feel like there's... A couple things about this build, and I think this has been a trend. You know, when we first started playing Minecraft, or I feel like a lot of kids who play creative will do this, build very garish things out of diamond blocks or gold blocks, right? Because they're they're theoretically very rare, even though when you're playing in creative, everything has the same rarity. You have some very, um, to a survival player, very garish choices that you've made. There's lodestones everywhere in this, the ceiling. There are ancient debris just sort of 
hidden in a place where you would never be able to see as a survival player uh, because these uh, those light blocks that you're you're talking about uh, don't exist and you would never be able to see the ceiling in, in survival <laughs> mode and you'd never see those ancient debris. I can't help myself with the lodestones, man. The lodestones are a beautiful block. I Lodestone is probably actually my favorite building block in the game. It's so pretty. Uh, I mean, I love the design on the sides, but I also love that it can be used for an entirely different block with its sort of inset squares that are kind of like a special tiled floor or ceiling in some regards. So I, I, I make quite use of it, which I imagine makes the survival builders quite grumpy if they're trying to copy it. But you can always find a substitute if you want. Uh, the garish comment aside, I think there are some, uh, including the redstone lamps and including the ancient debris. You know, there's a lot of choices that you're making that you wouldn't necessarily make in survival that that work. But there are also some choices that you would make in survival that I think would work really well. There, you have a use of note blocks, which I think is pretty common in building nowadays, which sort of looks like a like a thatched wooden kind of uh, surface, which is very nice. I don't know exactly what you're trying to replicate with the use of the smoker, but I think it, it works very well. I think I was trying to use it as like a bottom of an organ, I think, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I built that part. Yeah. I don't, I don't have it open in front of me right now, so actually I actually don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds like something I would do. So it's a it, it's a good mix of, of things that a survival player should expect to, to know and use. Yeah, and I mean, that's another one of the reasons that I like the one-to-one builds as opposed to, again... If you look at most cathedral builds by the community, most people these days just build them twice as big or three times as big because they get so much more detail. But they're all creative mode, and I like the feel that my buildings could be built in a simpler survival world on a reasonable time scale with a few months of investment. And maybe eventually I will get around to doing a couple tutorials for people who might be interested in trying to do this that way. So a few months of investment that still you didn't answer the question of how many hours this actually took. Oh, gosh. Let me think about this. It's a trap, Tom. Oh, it's a trap. Yeah. It's a trap. Just like your trap doors. Um, Just like your trap doors. Yes, yes. I would say I probably, let's see, I started working on it in... He's just walking right into this trap. Mm-hmm. I probably was seriously working on it in February and finished up the bulk of it by April. So three months. L- listener, Tom's students, the following sound. <laughs> that was me slapping my forehead. But it's for a good cause, right? Now we have a good comparison of French to English Gothic architecture. Yes. I mean, looking looking what at a good, it, What a good cause. When you're on the outside, what a good cause, right? I mean, I, I would like to sort of sum up the episode today with a little bit of comparison. How, how do you feel about the the way it's squared off on the end or the tall tower? Do you have a preference between French and English from what you can see there? No, sorry. No, no preference. <laughs> no preference. No preference. No preference. Okay. Rectangular is what I would build, but that's from a lack of skill. Man, the spire looks really crazy when you fly all the way to the top of it and look down. Oh, yeah. It's very, very tall. Some of the drone shots in the video also very spectacular from the top of the spire. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that was probably I, I got a new uh, shader pack working and the colors are much more vibrant than in some of my earlier builds. So I'm, I'm pleased with the results of the, the newer video. I'm going to use that more. Is this to scale? Is this spire really this tall? 
Yeah. It's a little bit taller than the real thing. Like I said, my builds tend to be maybe about 10% bigger on average than the real thing. So a little bit bigger, but I still feel like... But com- compare, compare it to the nave, you think? Because it, it's, it's well more than double on your... On your- on your cathedral. I, I did accentuate the, the height of the spire a little bit extra just because it was important to me to get the proportions of the thickness of the tower and the proportions of the ratio of the tower to the spire and the ratio of the inclination of the spire to just something that looked close to the real thing. And usually when you say like, I want those to look right, that usually comes at the sacrifice of something else. I usually tend to for my my throwaway variable, I usually let the length of the cathedral be a little bit of a greater variable than the height. Uh, in this case, the spire, I think, is maybe uh, maybe about a dozen blocks higher than the real thing. But again, you know, within a reasonable enough tolerance that I'll call it one-to-one build. I'm very pleased that you actually went and uh, found the video on your own. Have you been checking out the podcast website on your own, David? Uh, I think that was the wonders of the YouTube algorithm. Oh, it just popped up. That's even better. Because I subscribe to Cathedral Talk on YouTube. Oh, and it's actually sharing things. Yay. So this one didn't catch you by surprise, Dunley Amion, which had been sitting there for like four or five months and you guys never knew it. Uh, I mean, I haven't checked our website in a while. This one also didn't catch me by surprise because you showed it to me when I came to visit. (laughs) That's true. I wasn't expecting to surprise you because you actually saw it when we were there together. It wasn't done at the time, though, but now it's done. So the... Five months it took from uh, beginning to, to to this episode. When do I get those five months back for the Notre Dame build? Uh, well, he uh, hasn't done anything. Listeners, you can go and hey. listen to the last couple podcasts where he promises that he's going to do some more work on it. <laughs> Zach. I, I've been on the server. I have pruned the server. <laughs> I have upgraded the server. I've done my own builds on the server. Every once in a while, I fly my pretty little elytra wings over to the, the Notre Dame, and I'm like, oh. All right, guys. I'm, I'm making a vow on this podcast. No more cathedrals. Making a vow. I will not build another cathedral until I build more <laughs> one block on the two to one notre dame build one block that is not a nope <laughs> nope <laughs> I'll, until until i build mm, until i finish the choir the entire nave the entire nave we'll we'll see we'll see i will finish the entire transept that's nothing but it's not nothing that's got two rose windows on it my friend yeah and then you will be 12 percent done <laughs> I, I, I will say this, and maybe this will put your mind a little bit more at ease. I am at this point coming around to thinking that I'm going to go with creative mode on the server just to speed it up a little bit. So that will make the next few parts go considerably faster. I would just do creative mode at this point. I don't think you I don't think you get much from. Yeah, it, it's what I've learned from the two to one build experience was that it, it, it's it's fun when there's a lot of people on doing survival, but if nobody else is on, it's just kind of a waste of time. Yeah, like why like who who cares? Like you're Right. You're just doing it for to torture yourself or something. Right. And Zach's already been doing a lot of creative mode stuff on the server anyway. So I'll just join him oh, that's cool. and we'll kind of transition to creative mode. Yeah. I, 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 I was thinking maybe in like five years 
of like throwing together another survival server, but maybe make it like with the create mod like we looked at last time and we could have a proper survival server again. But for the meantime, we'll do our, our uh, creative mode server. Far more relevantly, in five years, you will very likely have a kid that is interested in Minecraft. Oh, yeah. Roblox. Oh, God. No. Ban it. Ban it. Banned. That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to Friends of Notre Dame de Paris.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a nonprofit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at cathedraltalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own visual palette. Good day and happy building.